The road to the sea from Brunton-on-Sea railway station vibrates with trolley buses. It is dominated by two house agents, a wine shop, a horrid little tea room called the Blue Parrot, and the Sussex and Provincial Bank Limited, with its black double door. Brunton has only recently been included in the Southern Electric Circuit. It is healthily situated alongside Beachy Head and is one of the most hideous watering places on the south coast. Persons retiring there with the intention of dying have lingered on for years, feeling better than they have ever felt in their lives. It has the highest sunshine percentage of any town in Great Britain. Nevertheless, on this morning in February, the English Channel was at its worst. It had been churned up all night into a series of frothing waves caused by a southwesterly gale. Andrew Cathcart, the manager of this branch of the Sussex and Provincial, paused at the double doors and shivered. The worst of the weather was over, the rain had passed on towards London, the horizon was now a clear, pale green, but the sea was still upset. Mr Cathcart's face slowly turned purple. He straightened his tie and shrugged his shoulders. Half past ten. He expected young Tony at eleven. Funny thing, he always thought of Tony Robinson as young, though by now he was well into his forties. <laughs> Funny thing. Shaking his head, Mr Cathcart went into his office. 2. Halfway down Station Road, a foolhardy terrace of villa residences shot off at right angles. It had been an attempt at a refined residential quarter. Here, Joshua Mabberley, the old jobbing builder, had run up villa after villa to the specifications of Anglo-Indian colonels and colonials, wishfully retiring. After many years, the colonels had died. They had usually spent their capital because they had lived longer than they intended. And the colonel's ladies had not cared to live on, among the Burmese gongs and Benares brassware, without the money to keep these things in the manner to which they had been accustomed. Soon the colonel's ladies had gone away, no one knew where. The colonels had died too, and because no one had ever married them, they left no woman to cherish the groups taken at Blau Wildebeest Fontaine and Wallamaloo and Pretoria, with a white fox terrier in the foreground. So the Warhaven sale rooms, behind the house agents in Station Road, were filled with exotic bric-a-brac that changed hands once a month, wittily mocked by Ronald Cathcart, auctioneer and valuer, and brother to the bank manager. And Derba Villas, shamefaced, lurked behind signs announcing Gelthorne Guesthouse, Bolinbroke Private, and Price's Family and Commercial Hotels. Mabberley died in 1926. His interest in this story is only that he set the scenery. He had once been proud of the vast, rich Derba Villas, so much the same size, and yet, as he would have said, so individual and each, as he would also say, according. They all had their own atmosphere, but the richest and most sinister example of Edwardian Gothic in the whole terrace was the Oranmore.
It stood on the much-coveted corner site. Six of its thirteen bedrooms possessed sea views. The Oranmore Private Hotel, unlicensed, had once been two houses, Pondicherry Lodge and Burma Villa. Mabberley had enjoyed himself building these for their original owners, Captain Fortescue Sykes, who had since tried to corner the pepper market, had gone broke and shot himself, and Mr Dunlop, who was dead. Neither of these men had wanted in their lifetime any damn nonsense. Both of them had paid twice, through the nose and up to the hilt. Pondicherry Lodge had a sloping lawn and hydrangea bushes. Burma Villa had rockeries fore and aft. So the Oranmore had the advantage of both of these rare types of garden. It also enjoyed the late Mrs Fortescue Sykes' collection of cacti, which clustered obscenely in a corner of the Pondicherry Lodge back garden near the garden seat.